And that actually kind of plays right into, you know, some of the early chapters of my book, The Vulnerable Career Switcher, because I thought I was essentially doomed to a career of, uh, of accounting. I was a, a certified, I passed the CPA exam, which is the, the major milestone in your early years of your career if you want to be an accountant. Um, so I was psyched about that and it did help me, you know, get some decent jobs in, uh, in accounting with big companies that, that paid decently. But as I went through the career, I started working kind of like you in construction, but obviously with my, you know, with numbers and, and spreadsheets as opposed to, you know, heavy machinery, but I was literally working, you know, 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week, especially during what we call busy season or tax season when everybody's tax returns are due or uh, the big companies are getting their their books audited. And this stuff was not exciting. And so I'm, I'm going to try to make it exciting for your podcast, but it was not exciting <laughs> as, a, as a life. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. I'm the host, Sean Dustin. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. A couple of announcements. IndiePods United Virtual Podcast Summit, November 29th through December 3rd. For more information, go to IndiePodsUnited.com. I am one of the founders of this uh, event, so... Uh, this is going to be the first time and hopefully we'll turn it into an annual thing, but it's all about, uh, independent little indie podcasts, uh, coming together, talking about best practices and and stuff like that. If you're getting value out of what I'm doing here, it would be great if you could help support in whatever way you can. If you're broke, you can always subscribe, rate, and review right from the podcast platform you are currently listening from. If you can afford to drop a couple bucks, that's even better. Uh, You can go and tip me through PayPal or Venmo. Those links can be found in my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash nowhere to go but up. You can also find a tab for my merchandise uh, page where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, muds, (laughs) mugs, and uh, other stuff like that. Also, I'm going to be invited to participate in one of my favorite YouTube shows called The Union of the Unwanted. This can be found on my friend Ricky Verandis's YouTube channel, RV Theory 6. Ricky has been a guest on my show, and I've also been a guest on his podcast called The Ripple Effect. As a matter of fact, 
you should go and check out his most recent episode, which is number 271, where he interviews Mickey Willis, who released a documentary that was probably the most censored movie ever, I think, probably in our history. Well, maybe not the history, but at least in, in current times, it was the most censored documentary um, to date. I'm not going to say the name because I already get suppressed enough, but if you want to know um, and, and if you don't know and you want to know, go to uh, his uh, website and all that information will be in the show notes. Today I'm talking to Michael Patrick Lewis. And this re- this episode was recorded April 30th, which is probably a couple weeks into the uh, lockdown. So Michael's an author of a book called The Vulnerable Career Switcher. And, uh, you know, this is a really good conversation. We covered a lot of different topics, a lot of different perspectives, um, in in those topics. And, uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed listening back to it. Um, I think you probably will too. So let's get to the show. This is the nowhere to go, but a podcast and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today, I am talking to Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is the author of a book called The Vulnerable Career Switcher, and he's here to talk to us today about his uh, change from going to a world of finance and switching over his career into marketing. Michael, how are you? Good afternoon, Sean. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming out and hanging out with me, man. Uh, uh, I could use the, I could, I could use the socialization. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as we all could, right? Yeah. Hopefully, someday we can be either uh, within six feet of each other and shake hands again. You know, yeah. like those are days that I look forward to. Yeah. God, that's what physical touch on a on a on a stranger. Yes. Imagine that, right? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> spreader, you yeah, it, spreader. It feels like it's criminal behavior now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you go walk by the grocery store and you get dirty looks if you walk down the wrong way in the aisle. Yeah, or, or you don't have your mask. You won't even get in oh, the gosh, store. Yes. Yeah, that happened to my wife. She just mistakenly forgot it, went into Home Depot and got the uh, the side eye from about forty different people. Yeah, like like you're trying, like you're you're the one who's <laughs> trying to end humanity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, all is so far. We haven't been infected, so I'm going to guess my wife did not infect anybody yesterday. But uh, you know, you, you all, we have to hope. You know, we're in, I'm in New Jersey, so I'm close to the hot spots of uh, Manhattan, about 25 minutes outside of Manhattan. And in fact, I was commuting into the city until about mid March. So uh, either I already got it and never got the symptoms, or uh, or we've been lucky in, in our quarantine state here in the last month and a half. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I honestly think my ex got it. So she was really sick with a like a, a, oh. a chest thing, like around February or like into January, yep. February. And so I'm like, ah, I think you probably got it. And I didn't catch anything right. from her. And my daughter was sick. I'm the only one that didn't get sick. So maybe I, I had antibodies built up from being around yes, it. Or, yeah. So I don't know. I'm not a doctor. It'll be fascinating to find out. Yeah, me neither. It'll be fascinating to find out like who had it all this time and who didn't. And and hopefully the uh, the, the obviously the, the the deaths are a tragedy. But we hope that the death rate is actually a much lower statistic when we when we measure everybody. 
Yeah, this thing is so weird. I never thought, yeah. never thought in a million years. This is the last thing that I ever thought I would experience in my life. I mean, I, I knew Likewise. that we were going to have, I knew the, the market was going to crash at some point. Yes. I, I, I just, yeah. I knew it was coming. You know what I mean? It had yes. been, it had been over 10 years. The first 10 years had been the benchmark previously because I went and I did the research on this because I was going for a position in my local as a business yes. agent. And I was trying to, uh, during my campaign, I was like, look, you know, we're headed towards, we're headed for disaster. <laughs> and, you know, trying to use some fear tactics to, to get people to go my way. Um, but I mean, one of the things was, is like 10 years was the benchmark of the longest period that we had been out of a recession since the Great Depression. Amazing. And, and, yes. and so it was like, all right, well, we're, we're about 10 and change right now coming up on 11. <laughs> it's coming. How's it going to be? And I, I had no clue that they, it would be this. We were all walloped by this. And anybody who says that they knew this was coming is, is, uh, is, is doing some 2020 hindsight. Yeah. And that's a, that's a nice way of saying they're lying. Yeah. We got rope doped. <laughs> we got rope doped. Yes. <laughs> We Indeed. were all we were all looking at it to come from over here, and then all of a sudden you got kicked right in the ass. Like, oh my god! Exactly. <laughs> we weren't ready for this. How dare you? Nobody was. Nobody was. Yeah, it's uh, it is it is a tough slog for everybody. Thirty million people unemployed, and um, you know, obviously that it uh, it means that a lot of people are hurting. I you know, um, I, I wish everybody well. I hope the healthcare workers and especially the grocery store clerks, I think of them as just, you know, they are, they're working for near minimum wage and here they are, you know, essentially putting their lives a bit on the line. If, if the stats are what they are, just, you know, helping people get the essentials every day. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, we we're, we're, we've always been known to band together when, when, you know, times in times of war and times of, of, yes. uh, you know, nine 11 is a perfect example. You were there. Right. Um, yes. you were actually at, very close to it. So, I yes. mean, yep. you know, we all, we all felt it that day. Uh, I was working mm -hmm. in the, uh, I was a cable installer at the time. And so I was going in and out of people's homes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I experienced oh, wow. what a lot of people yeah. were going through away from it. Which is really strange, and this feels a lot like it, but different, you know. Very it, different, even though it is still painful, and there's a there's a malaise or a, a tragedy component to this. But this one obviously is taking so much longer. Yeah. To to endure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think you know some people endured the the nine eleven in, in much longer ways than the average person did, but those were the the workers who were who were doing the cleanup back down at ground zero and at the Pentagon. But, uh, but boy, you know, that's a smaller number of people and, and no less critical than the people, you know, coming to the rescue today, but it is drawn out in this case, for sure. This is like nothing anybody's seen since probably that, uh, that Spanish flu a hundred years ago. Mm, yeah. I was reading some, uh, some, uh, some interesting stuff on that. Like it, it that killed more, that the flu, I think that flu killed more people than both world wars combined, didn't it? Yes, it was multiple tens of millions yeah. of people who passed away over those two years. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and all all kinds of different. It, it's amazing. Think about it. There was no. Uh, there was not a lot. Of, there was just about zero flight. Um, but I think the, even the the war was part of the the spread. 
was that uh, you know the, the army moved over, took went overseas and brought it with them, and and then all of a sudden you had a couple of continents suffering as opposed to just one. Yeah, a lot like what happened when we came over here, when we came over to the United States uh, from, yes. uh, and, and, and we brought all of our diseases to the Indians. Yes, yeah, Native that is Americans. something that uh, needs, to be, needs to be more, uh, you know, uh, I think that'll actually surface as a, as a bigger uh, historical note um, in schools in years to come. Maybe not next year, but I think as, uh, as a point of reference compared to this situation i think that that will be uh, brought up more uh you know abruptly or, or acutely in uh in history lessons so it should be interesting to see how that all shapes out you have a daughter who's i believe four or five right so yeah you know, three it'll be interesting to see if she learns okay so she's three so she, you know it'll be interesting to see if she's picking that up in you know fifth grade or eighth grade history you know when uh the textbooks all turn over yeah yeah for sure yeah. So let's talk about you and uh, your book and uh, whatever you want to tell me about that switch that you made and, and how it was sure. so profound uh, for you to want to reach out. Yeah, no, thank you for again. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I wrote the book, The Vulnerable Career Switcher. Uh, while I was working at a, at a job over the last couple of years, it, it was uh, something that I had to put a lot of time into on the side. But as I mentioned to you, I'm a, I'm a New Jersey resident. I, I work in New York City. And so I had this nice train commute in and out of the, the city every day. And uh, for years, I had been using that train commute just to do a little bit more work at the beginning and end of each day. And as I uh, started writing the book, I said, that's actually good time to, uh, you know, you have a little bit of alone time. There's nobody, you know, coming by your desk and saying, hey, do you have a second? Which turns into, of course, a 10-minute conversation or a 30-minute conversation. And so it was uninterrupted, 30 to 45 minutes uh, each direction on the train to, uh, to really put some thoughts on paper. And it was a story that I had kind of had in my head for five or six years. But I was one of those people that always said, yeah, I'd like to write a book someday. But I never got, I could never put pen to paper. And until I started, uh, you know, seeing some other inspiring people in my life who had full-time jobs but yet we're writing books. I said, I guess I need to, you know, that's probably when the time's going to come. It's not going to, there's not going to be this magical uh, creation of, of the special time that's set aside for me to actually write this book. Um, you know, I have children as well. I have a wife, I have, uh, you know, we have lives outside of work. And so all those things continue. And so you have to try to find time to, to do these things. So you stop making excuses. I stopped making excuses. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Jeez, that's exactly yeah. where I'm at. <laughs> well, I, I have, I'm still making excuses uh, around making a podcast. So, you know, props to you for doing that. And uh, that is your calling at this moment. And if you want to write a book someday, then, you know, you'll have to, I think I listened to one of your other episodes, a recent one, I think it was uh, Dr. Ben Hardy just talking about, you know, create that, uh, that external pressure, tell some people about what your goal is, and then that will actually make it a little bit harder to create excuses and, and defer, defer, defer. Yeah, that's yeah, what I, that's, I had a couple of people like that as well that helped me push me along. Yeah, that's what I was kind of hoping for. So I'd be, you know, put it out there <laughs> and keep talking about it. And, and at some point, somebody's going to say, hey, why don't you shut up and quit talking about it? Right, it, right. What is this number episode 17 and you're still talking <laughs> about you want to start this? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Exactly. So for me, it was, I was saying to a few people and they were like, well, what's holding you back? And I, I would just say things like time, time pressures, I'm busy, you know, uh, maybe, you know, when I'm older, or, you know, when the kids grow up a little bit more, things like that. Um, and then I met some people who had actually written books and published them. And so then you go through all the, the normal questions of like, how did you do that? And, you know, did you publish it yourself? Did you, you know, who, who's your publisher? Did you get it edited? Um, what did you write about? How'd you come up with the idea? And so a lot of those things, uh, I, you know, essentially interviewed other people to find out how they did those things. And then that gave me a little bit of a framework for how to go about it myself. And they became a little bit of my external pressure points to, to get this done. Now, mind you, I, I didn't set a personal deadline until pretty well into the, the book process. I, I wanted to see what would happen if I started putting to pen to paper and trust me, the first, you know, paragraphs and chapters were, were difficult to write and they didn't look very good. Um, but uh, once I got a groove and I got into the habit of it, it became a little bit more natural and uh, a story began to flow out of the, out of the process. And, you know, I, I did have an outline. I kind of had like topics that I wanted to make sure I covered, but uh, knowing that there were going to be some people out there who would eventually come back around and say, Hey, how's that book idea of yours going? I wanted to make sure I delivered. Um, but I also made it a point not to tell too, too many people. So I didn't socialize it to, you know, my Facebook followers or my LinkedIn connections. You know, um, I've been working professionally for 30 years and I, I, uh, I've been on LinkedIn for about 15, 20 years, um, almost to the beginning of LinkedIn. And, uh, so I really seized it or harnessed it pretty early on, but I was like, I'm just not going to tell those people until I actually deliver something. So that group only saw the finished product. So they all think it was easy. And, you know, I must've found this magical point in time where I could uh, put lightning in a bottle and, and write a book. But the people who have written before me know it's a slug. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not very good at LinkedIn. I just, uh, I have a profile there. I don't really do a whole lot with it. Uh, I, some, I've, I've, it's been a little bit more active lately, but yeah, you know, Anytime, like even when, like for when you wrote a book, I mean, it's, it's the same premise. I mean, you have to know how to work yeah. social media. You've got to, you've got to market it right. yourself. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, I guess you can have a publisher uh, market it, but I hear that, I mean, a lot of it's being done by yourself still. That is correct. Yeah. For uh, me, it was all bootstrap is all personal. I, I self-published on Amazon. Um, I'm doing the marketing. I am doing mostly what I'll call inexpensive marketing because it's, it's my first foray as a book. And, um, and I, I, you know, while I, I've made a few bucks over my life and, and my job, I, I wanted to kind of almost treat this like it's its own sustainable business. So, you know, my seed money on the, the book business and the, and, and some of the other side things that I'm trying to do are, you know, the investment is literally less than $5,000. And so I wanted to almost treat it like I'm broke and see what happens and, and, and learn some lessons from that because those are, could be lessons I can share with other people that, you know, haven't been out in the professional work world for 30 years and probably haven't saved as much. And, and therefore, you know, their earlier stage, but they probably still have a great idea that they could share with the world. And I wanted to make sure I thought about it from that perspective as well. You know, as a, uh, Damon John who founded, uh, I, I think FUBU, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, just the, the concept of the power of broke and almost thinking like 
you know, this is uh, this is how you're going to eat the next day. You know, try to think about it that way as opposed to, uh, you know, just a side project that you can just endlessly fund. And uh, and it <laughs> it turns into a lot of red ink. You know, it would be awesome if there was a uh, like a service out there to where you could um, if you don't know how to do any of this, it's almost like yeah. seed, like seed money. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, and you go and you present your idea. Hey, this is what I'm, I, you know, this is the idea I have. This is what I've got. Um, can you help me do the first one? Right. You know right. what I mean? And so, cause my yeah. story has about three different books in it. Uh, yes. And so yeah. it's like, all right, well help me to do the first one. And mm-hmm. then you can get your, you can get your, your money back off that first <laughs> one, you know, right. because I know yeah. I've got two more in me, you know, two, Absolutely. two more stories. Yeah. And so that would really give me the, the experience of, of the whole process. And, you know, you're getting, you're going to get whoever, whoever seeds it, it will get a portion. You're going to get your money back plus some, you know, that's right. you're, you're going to get your money back off the top and then whatever's left over, you know, it goes to me and and the, roy- right. the royalties obviously go to me as well uh, yes. on that. And the book rights or the, you know, the movie rights and, and everything else. Yeah. But yeah. You know, that would be kind of a cool thing to do because there's tons of people out there that have great stories that they just don't know. They don't know where to go with them. They don't know where to go with them. They don't know where to go with them. And they're they're in a way that some of them are spilling those stories into what I'll call free media so that it becomes a story that somebody else could be using at your expense too. like think about it that way. Like a lot of people put their life story on Facebook every day. You know, it, it, it can range from the mundane, which is what they ate for lunch. Uh, to the extreme, which is maybe they just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, as a, as an example, right? And those are, you know, the Kilimanjaro certainly could be worthy of a of a story. Maybe it's a it's a article and not a book. But uh, you know, you I, I've I've learned a little bit about your backstory as well. I I, I would strongly urge you to uh, to think about the fact that you probably have those three to three to five stories. And maybe some of them could blend into a single, you know, bit of an autobiography or a memoir. And then there could be, an, and what's interesting about writing a book is all of a sudden you've got these offshoots that you want to keep writing about, but they don't really fit in the book that you're writing. So now you have a whole bunch of other ideas as mm. well that you can make for your book number two or book number five. Yeah, yeah. But to your point about like a support mechanism or somebody who's backing you either financially or otherwise, um, that, that can help. Um, what I am also learning is that, um, and I've done this both through research as well as through my own experience, is books don't necessarily sell themselves, and you're not necessarily going to get wealthy off of a book. You know, it's it's a, it usually becomes a a part of the platform as opposed to the the only part of the platform that that generates income. You know, so unless you go out and either have a mega publisher, or you do some really over the top self-promoting or you have you know somebody who's connected maybe to the today show on nbc you're going to really struggle to get um you know thousands or tens of thousands of book sales um there's just so much content out there to read and the fact that people can self-publish now means there are more books out there but um you know in your case you could make a book part of your platform your podcast is also part of your platform and then those can lead to other streams of revenue yeah, that's really what I was thinking about. So it was, I sort of did it. So people, sometimes they, they do the, the book and then they have, you know, then they decide they want to have a podcast. Yes. I was like, well, the podcast for me is a lot easier 
right. to do. Yes. And so I was like, all right, well, let me just build this. I'll build it organically, yeah. uh, build my following. And in that way, you know, cause a lot of these times, like, like when you see some of these, uh, you're on those podcast groups, right? And yes. you see follow for follow, uh, like for like all of that. I mean, that's, that's right. all, that's all superficial, uh, following, you know what right. I mean? Because if I put, if I've got 10,000 followers and I got them all that way, I guarantee you probably about a thousand of them will be paying attention to anything that I put on there. That is right. And the, the 9,000, it's just background noise to, to, you know, or they, or they stopped following you after a period of time because you no yes. longer serve their purpose. That happens quite a bit. Exactly. Yes. Like, yeah. And so who are those followers and who are the ones that are going to, you know, bring you along, so to speak, and, and support your career and, 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 what you have to bring to the world too, your content, your, your thoughts and your ideas and, and your value as yep. well. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I keep beating myself up about it, but I'm like, ah, it's all right. Cause I'm still building what I'm building. And then, you know, exactly when, when it gets to the point where I do, then that'll be that much more meaningful. And the people that I'm presenting it to are actually going to be people that are with me because they want to be with me. And that's right. You know what I mean? They're, they, they believe in what I'm talking about or what I'm, what I'm presenting to them. For sure. Um, good book that I, uh, I, you know, something good to maybe, uh, uh, page through for your audience. And I'm not necessarily saying you got to read every book I bring up or whatever is a book by a, a woman named Dory Clark. Um, and her, the book title is entrepreneurial you. And, uh, I, I heard about her book on a podcast and it was, uh, I, for a while I was listening to uh, Harvard business review podcasts and I had, uh, I'd gone to B school or business school at uh, NYU many years ago. And, um, you know, they, you know, when Harvard, when podcasting became a thing in like 2004, 2005, Harvard actually was out in front with a podcast. And so they have like these very well-known speakers come on and just talk about, it could be entrepreneurship. It could be, you know, how to lead a company. It could be, how, you know, how to sensitively let people go in a company where you got to cut back and things like that. Her thing was how to create multiple streams of revenue or income which I, I brought up uh, just a little bit earlier here in this conversation. And she gave me the ideas based on all these people she wrote about, you know, the, the concept of like, what should I do first? And so, you know, to you, you're kind of gravitating first towards podcasts and that's, and that's kind of your, where you're leaning, you're gravitating to that because that seems to be most comfortable to you. I was, I had built a, a website thinking like, maybe that's the first place to go. I have been, coaching people's careers, typically millennials and centennials for the last 10 to 15 years. So I was thinking maybe I just start that as a direct business where I just get word of mouth business uh, through coaching. And, uh, and I also started drafting, you know, the first parts of the book. So like I was trying to figure out which of these would stick. And for me, it was the book. And then once I got going with the book, I was like, all right, I'm going to put all these other things to the side. Um, but I am going to bring them back into the fold once the book is published. So, you know, now I got a website, I got a few uh, clients that I'm coaching and, uh, and that's what I was hoping to do, you know, long-term in my, what I'll call my third career, uh, as we go forward here. But I think like, uh, you know, just, just, just to your point about, you know, you gravitated towards podcasting, Dory Clark has all these examples of these, uh, you know, some people are, are famous, some people are not, but they are just steady at either podcasting or writing books or writing articles or guest speaking or, or creating events back in the days where we could actually have live events. 
you know, all of those things are, are potential streams of revenue and income for people to have a, a good livelihood, not necessarily gangbusters, you know, uh, yachts and, and uh, you know, 13 houses all around the country or world, but, you know, uh, sustainable, you know, and uh, quality of life situations. I think that's the most important. I think that everybody that's trying to switch out of doing whatever it is that they're doing because it's not bringing them joy. It doesn't right. serve them. Uh, it's, it's a strain, uh, like for myself, construction. I mean, I live in the Bay area. I work commercial yep. construction union and, uh, you know, I got to go where the work is. And sometimes yes. that's a hour and a half commute one way in the morning when there's no traffic and then trying to get yeah. back is another three, four hours. You know, so, I mean, I'm spending five hours, you know, anywhere from three to five hours a day in my vehicle, you know, by the time yes. I get home and, you know, there's really no time left for me to do anything that I enjoy. Exactly. And then yep. it just becomes a resentful, uh, a resentful travel, you know, my whole week is, right. is full of resent, resentment because I'm not, I'm not being able to be the person that I know I can be. Or, exactly. you know, express myself in the way that I need to, uh, you know, which allows me, I, I get so much satisfaction out of these interactions and it doesn't, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I have seven or eight of them scheduled in one day, each one of them brings something different to me. You know, exactly. I think meeting people, speaking with different people with different backgrounds and careers and perspectives has been, uh, is one of the most enlightening things of the I'll call it the internet era, you know, and especially more, more importantly, like the last 10 years where we've got YouTube as an active channel, we've got podcasting, which has really taken off. Um, and, and of course, social media, you know, like it or not, social media has really helped people connect with other people with, you know, sometimes unfortunately with too much of the same tastes and preferences and political aspirations and things like that. But in other cases, you meet some different people with different points of view that you can learn from. And, uh, and, and actually it, it opens your mind up and that actually kind of plays right into, you know, some of the early chapters of my book, the vulnerable career switcher, because I thought I was essentially doomed to a career of, uh, of accounting. I was a, a certified, I passed the CPA exam, which is the, the major milestone in your early years of your career, if you want to be an accountant. Um, so I was psyched about that and it did help me, you know, get some decent, jobs in uh in accounting with big companies that that paid decently but as i went through the career i started working kind of like you in construction but obviously with my you know with numbers and and spreadsheets as opposed to you know heavy machinery but i was literally working you know 60 70 sometimes 80 hours a week especially during what we call busy season or tax season when everybody's tax returns are due or uh, the big companies are getting their their books audited and this stuff was not exciting. And so I'm, I'm going to try to make it exciting for your podcast, but it was not exciting <laughs> as a, as a life. And, um, and some people do thrive in it and they do find in it and they're into it, but there's usually like one right answer. You have to, you know, basically balance the numbers and make sure they all tie out. And it would be a frustrating process when I would be walking into a giant company trying to find who knows where these, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollars were that, uh, you know, are supposed to be in this account or something. And it was just like, it, and people didn't want me to be there either. Like I was creating more work for them. So mm. it was a very ungratifying, not interesting, unstimulating type of job. And like you, I'd come back at the end of the day and just be, you know, exhausted, you know, maybe just turn on the TV, 
I'd be eating dinner at like 1030 or 11 o'clock at night. So I was, you know, gaining all that weight because I wasn't exercising and I was eating super late right before sleep. So it was, uh, it was a very unengaging lifestyle. And it was one where, you know, I think what's important for your listeners, anybody who's in a career where they're, they're not feeling it like it's their, their, their life's dream, so to speak, is it may take a while, but you can explore and you should explore and you should try to find out what it is that will give you greater happiness, uh, in a, in a career because you spend a lot of waking hours of your life in your career mm-hmm. in mo- most people's cases. Yeah. I know a lot about tax season. My mom, uh, retired from KPMG. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Perfect. Yep. Uh, yep. so part of the reason why I was a latchkey kid is she was working in San Francisco and she was a supervisor. She wasn't a professional, yep. but she was a supervisor right. that put together all of the big, the big, uh, companies tax, uh, packets yes. and stuff like that. I mean, cause you, you've right. got a bunch in these big tax companies, you've got a whole bunch of different departments that handle different aspects of the return. That's absolutely right. I would have been working with someone like your mom in, uh, in, in the busiest of the busy seasons, you know, trying to get some of the actual uh, documentation out to either the clients or to the authorities. Yeah. You know, she was probably someone who was helping do what I call the last mile of the tax return, which is, you know, get it processed, printed, copies, uh, one version with, you know, client copy, one version with, you know, copy to the authorities and all of that. Uh, these are the, and they were important steps. She yeah. was a critical part of the process. Yeah. She, uh, then this was, she retired way before any of, uh, it, it, we got really like any of this kind of technology, uh, right. you know, probably about yep. like 10 years ago, maybe. Yep. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, it, I know, I know tax season all too well. It's <laughs> yeah, my favorite yeah, time you, of the year is, is I knew that I, I, there, if I was on restriction, I was like, no yeah, one's, no right. one's going to be around to, to enforce that. That's right. Yeah. And in most parts of the country, of course, it was cold. So, you know, the people were probably just huddling down in school, you know, after school or whatever. You probably you were in the Bay Area, I presume, growing up. And uh, if you were, then you were probably having the time of your life because it's still decent weather in the Bay Area. Yeah. And then then, uh, daylight savings, too. So we got an extra hour to play outside with with no with no supervision. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That is fun. Yeah, my my ex actually, she's an accountant. She didn't take her CPA, but mm-hmm. she uh, she she's a uh, just under a controller. Um, That's great. Yeah. yeah, and look, it's a good living. So there's nothing. Uh, I, I do not. Uh, I do not fault people for choosing that as their vocation. I just knew that it wasn't for me, and uh, and I was struggling with. Um, you know, as I was going through the process, I was struggling with the fact that I was drawing myself deeper and deeper into the profession as I, you know, gained seniority and I started making a little bit more money. You know, I went from, you know, my first job was, you know, 1990, 1991, making, you know, early, you know, low 30,000s. And by the time I was leaving the public accounting space in 2000, I was, you know, I was pushing, you know, 85,000 or $90,000. And so, you know, then you start feeling trapped because you're like, oh, if I start a new career, I, do I have to start back at thirty or forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars? And um, and those are some of the dreadful things that go through your head because you're, you know, I, I already began to have a family by the time I was thirty in the year two thousand, and and I uh, and therefore I felt responsibility to at least you know uh, you know care for them and provide for them. And here I am thinking like, yeah, maybe I'll go switch careers, but am I being an idiot for you know trying to do something that I think will 
ultimately be successful, but will certainly be a step back in the short run. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, I was living in the Bay Area in, in 2000, as well as living in San Mateo, oh, yeah. trying to figure out how to afford a house and, uh, you know, had a baby uh, already uh, in the house and a, and, a, uh, and a baby on the way and a wife who I was trying, you know, to have not work so she could take care of the young kids. And it was just it was it was tough. It was a tough time. Yeah, it's really hard in the Bay Area to make it. I mean, even now, uh, as a single, as a single income, you know, cause yes. even, even when, I mean, cause a hundred and like what, 110,000 is you're, you're, you're just right above the poverty level, you know? Exactly. Yes. And, and yep. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess I could, uh, scale back on some of the things that I have, you know, creature comforts, but it's like, all right, well right. Then, then what do I, what do I got? You know, that's right. That's right. I'm just yeah. wor- working to, to not do anything. You know, exactly, exactly. And so here, here's a question I have. Um, sure. So with AI coming around, uh, I keep mm-hmm. telling I keep telling my exes all the time. I'm like, you know, you better be careful because with uh, the things that they're doing with AI right now, your job is not essential. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. it's a it's right. a number. You're a numbers thing, and and she's like. Nobody can do what I, a computer can't do what I can do because I can find, you know, things here and, and, you know, places where, you know, I can be of value as a, as an accountant. I said, yeah, true. But I mean, if you're, if you're not the controller and you're just, you're just a, you know what I mean? If you're not the main person in that accounting, uh, staff. That's right. You're you're not essential, really. A, a yeah. computer eventually, at some point, is going to replace all of these back office procedures. A lot of those back office procedures, the number crunching will be automated if it are, if it hasn't already been. You know, a lot of what is going on in in uh, financial groups at, at companies is is these massive uh, uh, automation projects. You know, you you know, you might have heard of some of the massive. You know, these companies are mostly Bay Area based, Salesforce.com, yep. and Oracle, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Experian, and uh, and IBM, of course. And so these companies are all in the business of trying to make life easier for companies or corporations. And what they really mean by that is to create more automation and efficiencies, so the people that remain can be more strategic and focused on, you know, the business, you know, what are the big decisions that the business needs to make over the next couple of years? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually think your ex is going to be fine either as a controller or one level below the controller. Um, My opinion on AI is that, yeah, if you are an entry level person whose job is really just to push numbers from one place to another, that job is likely going away. I think somebody who is influencing what the controller decides for the fate of the company um, her job is probably still qualitative in many ways, and therefore AI could potentially make her job a lot more interesting and engaging, hmm. which is something I'm a proponent of is, is let's give people jobs where they actually really do have, you know, for those who want to not work in construction or not work in, in you know, machinery and such, who want to, you know, be thinking with their heads most of the time, AI may free us up to be doing more qualitative thinking as opposed to uh, rote, rote work that we've all had. I had to do all this rote work when I started in, you know, tax and accounting back in the 1990s, because just like, uh, 
your ex. I mean, it was all, uh, it, there was nothing automated. So, you know, we were doing a lot of manual work. We were filling out forms with pens and sometimes pencils and then going to the copy machine and making co- permanent copies of them. So um, a lot of, I, I don't miss that. And yeah, I'm glad yeah. that most people don't have to do that now with a, some degree of automation. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, even yeah. even with the current situation that we're in, this is the honeymoon period. Uh, there, we, yes. we're gonna we're in the easy part of it because who knows what's gonna the financial impact that that is going to happen. Uh, the scaling back of companies because they realize that okay, well, we can do what we're doing in a small, a far smaller space that we right. can have people. You know, a lot of everyone was afraid to to have you work from home because they figured you wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> That's right. You know, so companies would shy away from, you know, the work, the homework uh, from home model. And now that's going to be rethought for sure. You know, no question. Yeah. I mean, the the joke I used to get when I would go into uh, sales pitches and and I'm talking digital marketing in the last couple of years is I I was pitching uh, a retailer uh, in New York City. And, uh, and I was just telling them how, you know, I have, you know, my team has the, the professional ability to run all of their digital marketing campaigns. So their email marketing campaigns, if you get any emails from retailers, like that was the type of thing that, that my company did, um, you know, helping them with search so that, uh, you know, their listing would show up at the top of Google if you conducted the search for a pair of shoes or things like that. And the uh, the client would always ask, so where are these people based? And I was like, they're all over the country. And the, he he, you know, people like that would ask, well, so are they working in their jammies? You know, are they working, uh, you know, out of their homes in their jammies? And like he would mock it a little bit, right? And now, of course, we're all working in our jammies, so to speak. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, and and there's still work getting uh, done. I know that we have an unemployment issue now, but uh, for those who are still employed, gainfully and lucky for, lucky for them, they're probably doing about twice as much work, and they're having to do it from home. And um, I think companies are going to realize that uh, employees are way more valuable than they thought they were, you know, a year ago and two and five years ago. Mm-hmm. And the other thing just related to your point is that for the past six, seven years, I've worked in very open table settings at the agencies that I've been, in, been at. And what I mean by that is, uh, and again, going into New York City every day, New York City real estate, of course, is, is, is uh, quite like Bay Area real estate when it comes to Manhattan proper in that the you know cost per square foot or cost to rent a square foot in Manhattan is, is, is as extreme as it is in San Francisco. So what have they been doing over the last 10 years? They've been piling people closer and closer together at these open tables. So, you know, gone are the days of even the cubicle, which was like the, the bane of our existence for many years for office workers. Now it's these open table settings where you have sometimes eight or 10 people sitting across from each other. So it's, you know, four by four or, you know, four rows of two, you know, two rows of four people facing each other. And literally, you know, you barely have enough space to stretch your elbows out before you, you know, touch the person next to you. And obviously that's got to change with social distancing and the virus crisis and all that. And I think even when the virus, you know, we all think and hope it'll go away, whether it's through medicine or herd immunity um, I don't foresee people wanting to sit that close to each other again. And yeah. so I think the world is going to change in terms of, uh, you know, people are going to be uh, likely more able to choose to work from home and the open table setting will really change back to something that probably looks a little bit more like the cubicle days of the, you know, the first decade of the two thousands. 
Yeah, and I, I think what an, another another thing uh, byproduct of that will be. I mean, if you are one who is capable of working from home, then I think that you may have the option to homeschool. Yes, for sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you're going to be at home, so now you can you can supervise your own child and homeschool That's them. Right. And, and you know, it'll be a remote school situation and you may have to drop them off at for, you know, PE, uh, yes. or, or, yep. uh, you know, extracurricular sports stuff. Um, you know, That's and so right. schools will no longer need as much space as they, 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 uh, now take up as well. Yeah, I foresee that's a that's a great point. My daughter, who's eleven, so she's obviously a little older than yours right now. Uh, but you know, I was worried that she wouldn't really take to the homeschooling. Well, that we all have to do right now with uh, with you know online learning. So her school is online. They do have an organized school day. It's shorter. It's about four hours instead of six. Um, but she literally gets up independently, gets goes to uh, this room in our, our home and, uh, you know, connects to the uh, the web and starts going on like Zoom meetings and things like that to, to take her classes. And uh, she gets in, she gets out, uh, she gets her homework done for like the hour or two after classes end and uh, and she's good to go. And, and I know that there are, you know, I have some other parent friends who are struggling to get their kids to motivate and they may not show up to class on time and things like that. And it may seem a little bit easier to do that when you are homeschooled. So those will be interesting decisions that schools and parents have to make over the next several years that, you know, maybe some kids will need to be in the physical setting of a school to be motivated. But I could, I could bet you a few bucks that my daughter could, could get away with homeschooling um, as she works her way through middle school. I, I, I think that that's a way better, a way better option because you have, yeah. you have overcrowded, uh, classrooms as yes. it is now. And, yes. and so now if you have, if, if you know that your child is somebody who can be a self motivator, uh, right. you know, doesn't need the extra attention is, has the, has the mental capacity. I mean, not that it's even a mental capacity, but has the, yeah. right. the, because yep. everybody, not everybody's at the same level, you know? Of, right. of progression. Right. And so if you are one of those ones that can, uh, you know, be doing this from home, then you free up a space for exactly. somebody, you know, who may not, who may need that extra attention and, as, and won't right. get it in, in school as it is now. And they right. kind of get forgotten about, you know, because they're, they take too much time and I've got all these other students that I need to deal with. And so you're just going to have exactly. to figure it out, take it home to your parents and, and see if they can help you. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that's right. I mean, that's what it, it comes down to. Yeah. So I think teachers, this, of course, I, you know, teachers have that struggle too, right? Which is how do I, who do I teach to? Do I teach to the medium or the median, excuse me, or do I teach to the genius or do I teach to the, the, you know, the, the person who's carrying the back, you know, and those are tough decisions that they have to face every day, but you make a great point, which is maybe we can free up the teachers to focus on those who are either excelling and just need, you know, would, would benefit from even more challenging work. And those who are hang, kind of struggling along, and but if they got the attention, they they'd get right back in line. Yep. Yeah, and, and and let's just let let let's just pay them some more money while we're at it because they are actually here, here. they 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 yep. they are, dude. Our children are our most valuable resource. Yes, agreed. Yep, they are they are going to make the decisions for you know the next two generations of you know politically and. For the climate and for you know uh, you know fair wages and things like that, they're going to be making lots of important decisions. I've 
I got in an argument literally 20 years ago with uh, a, a cousin about, I thought, I thought it, you know, this is in the mid late nineties. I said, every teacher should make at least a hundred thousand dollars. And they couldn't believe that I thought that. And, and I was like, well, that would create competition for people, you know, to be kind of tumbling over each other to want to be teachers. Mm-hmm. I think there's some people who, who don't do it for the money. And, and that's actually good. You know, we, we applaud all those people, but they still struggle to make a living. You know, let's make it so that it's, uh, you know, um, something called a living wage where they, now they make enough where they're not worried about if they have to buy that extra set of colored pencils for the class, you know, which we know teachers do mm-hmm. out of their pocket half the time, or they, they don't have to move to a place that's, you know, 60 miles away from the school that they're teaching at. You know, those types of, you know, we can free up teachers to not have to make those painful decisions so they can really actually concentrate on the students. They'll be more awake, more engaged. The students will learn faster and more and we'll actually get higher quality teachers. And and I'm not criticizing teachers that we got. I'm just saying for the future generations, we'll have more competition for teachers, which is usually a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I I couldn't agree more, Uh, you know, as having a daughter now and, and, you know, it just, you know, my, my thinking on a lot of things has changed quite a bit. Sure. And, yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, I think about that a lot. I'm like, you know, teachers, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm entrusting you with the most precious thing that I have, <laughs> right. you yeah. know what I mean? And, and for me to say, you don't deserve, you know, exactly. and especially, especially the, the parents that have kids, children that they know are assholes. Right. That's right. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, how, how where, where, where are you thinking at? You got this little shit that you, right. you, because of you, cause you didn't do a, a good job at, at parenting or let them, you know, run the roost or, or how, however they turned out the way that they did. It's on your watch. That's right. Yep. Uh, you know, and now you yep. want to send them off to, to, because you can't deal with them to a teacher to, for them to deal with them. And now you don't want that teacher to be able to get paid the right amount of money to make it's it amazing. even worth it, worth it for her to show up and teach your little asshole right right <laughs> okay there's a lot of that going on for sure yep. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of parents are delegating even the child rearing responsibilities to teachers and this That's is another that thing that i think is amazing too is that you're putting by having by by having this homeschooling now you're putting yes. you're putting the own in the own in however that word is onus yes yes back on to the parents and engaging yes. the parents and having to figure out, okay, well, how do we do this, this math? All right. So now right. I can't go to the teacher. I have to go That's to right. you. Yes. And so yep. now you're, you're, you're engaging the parents, which is amazing. That's what should be happening. It should be happening. I mean, parent might, you know, I do look at my parents and say that they were helpful for me through, you know, probably ninth grade in terms of like, you know, some of my social studies, you know, even helped me prep for tests and things like that. And, we, I think we know that, uh, you know, having attentive parents can make a big difference in, you know, the outcomes for, for a child, right? And so, you know, giving the teachers their due so that they want to be in the industry and then that makes them, again, it all comes back to like employee engagement, even though we don't want to think of teachers as employees, they are employees of, of a school or a town or a, you know, a county. We want them to be engaged because engaged employees do better work. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So where are we going to find this money at? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I, I think it's a, it's probably a state by state matter. Mm-hmm. Um, having lived in California for a few years, I, I did, uh, 
in a way enjoy the, the benefits of, I think it's called Prop 32 or whatever, which is you don't you know, increase your real estate taxes, except when you sell your home. And then the next people who own the home have to pay market rate real estate taxes. So for those who have owned their home for 50 years in the Bay Area, I think they're still paying one or $2,000 of tax, you know, a year for real estate, whereas somebody who just bought their home, you know, may be paying $25,000 in real estate tax. So the, mm. you know, California's uh, tax system in, is, is tricky. And I, I was a bit of a direct victim of that as, as our firstborn was heading into the public school system and needed a little bit of extra attention. And our the principal of our San Mateo school said, we don't have the funding to, you know, cut down the class size. So, you know, yes, you, your kindergarten class has 32 boys, boys and girls in it. I was yeah. like, wow, you know, there's no way that any of these kids are going to be able to sink or swim if any of them struggle. But, yeah. uh, and New Jersey's got its own issues. So I'm not sitting here, you know, busting on California or, or Texas or Illinois. Like we all got our issues and, and uh, those are things we got to sort out and prioritize. Yeah. Well, there's no, I don't think there's any mistake that California got screwed because it's a democratic state. So did New York. Um, yep. Yep. And, you know, there was, there were, there was punishment uh, in this last, last tax bill that, that went, you know, that, is correct. that got, yep. that got passed. I, I felt it. Um, yes. I I didn't do anything different the year that I did the year before (laughs) and I ended up owing 10,000 and I got two, I got 2000 back the year before and did the same thing and owed 10. And I'm like, all right, well this is, you know, and they took away all of, all of the union stuff that we could deduct, like all of our our dues and everything else. Like my dues are like 10,000 alone just on that. Not to mention any of the stuff for tools and, and, so I mean, exactly. I lost about a good fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars worth of uh, worth of write offs uh, when when he did that. And and the, make no mistake, when they do something to to unions, they do it on purpose. They they yes. do not. No, we know that that's a political. Uh, that's the what we call the dog whistle, right? Like that is a you know that's a a uh, polarizing uh, you know you know group that uh, we know one party really likes to target. Oh yeah, and and yeah. The, they're they're not going to let up on it. It's yes. they're, it's yep. it's a one party system, and people yes. don't understand that. They think that the 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 du, what is it duopoly? Yes, uh, right. They, they, it's it's the same. It's it's the two heads of the same snake, right? And, and they yep. and they all work for the for the corporations that give mm-hmm. them the money right. for for all of the you know all of that. And so it you does- had a fascinating podcast that you shared with us uh, a few weeks ago. I think it was Dylan Radigan and uh, Jimmy Dore, Dore, mm-hmm. Dore, or Dory. Yeah, Jimmy Dore. Sure. Jimmy Dore. Yeah, I mean that was fascinating. I I've watched Dylan Radigan back to the days he was on CNBC back in the early two thousands, and uh, you know he he made some interesting points about you know this bailout is really helping. You know, it's it's called uh, what is it? Uh, you privatize the gains and you socialize the losses, right? Mm-hmm. And so, by socializing the losses, you're you're giving the 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 well-to-do an opportunity to actually buy a lot of you know what I'll call the distressed assets at mm-hmm. distressed asset values. So, yeah, it's um you know, and there were no perfect answers, you know, in this situation. I mean, we mm-hmm. have thirty million people unemployed now. It's um you know, it's a tough time, but um you know. There will be lots of things written out, written mm-hmm. up about, you know, critical aspects of what happened, you know, as the, you know, as the, the next couple of years arrive and we have to pay the bills. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, check it out. I mean, 
we're, yeah. we're, we're bailing out all of these corporations, but yet we don't get any, we don't get it. So, I mean, for what I wanted to do is look, you want to keep bailing out these people on, you know, and give, you know, rich socialism to, to some of these, right. uh, you know, companies that don't need it. Well, right. then we need some profit sharing. All right. We want, exactly. we, we want, uh, this is what I want. This is what I wanted out of it. And I think we should have, this is a perfect time for us to go on a general strike and sit down until we get what we want. Right. Get, right. get you know, Medicare for all. Yep. And a, and a UBI, you know, yes. so yep. in case this happens again, that's right. We're covered medically, you know, for the people that can't work like myself. Luckily exactly. I was able to get on a, a, dis, a disability. So now I can get, yep you know uh it's not affecting me as badly as it was and i'm not using up my my hours my health and welfare hours hours bank um yes so i was able to freeze that but if i didn't i i would be out of medicare medical you know so my daughter and 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 me would not be covered and so we we can't have that we can't have people you know just struggling to you know who work who work for a living who were who were exactly who were contributing to society giving you know paying taxes and, uh, and, and, you know, leading to outcomes for our kids, you know, teachers and paying the teachers, paying the construction workers, all of that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, this is, yeah. this really, in my opinion, is no different. And, and I, I was thinking that even before I heard the, the Dylan Radigan, you know, I was just, yes. he just confirmed right. what, what I was already thinking. And, and, you know, maybe you want to call it confirmation bias and whatever, say whatever you want. Sure. Yep. But I mean, facts yep. are facts. Uh, they are. Yep. You know, it's, and it's, and it's happening again as well. So, I mean, if you've tried to, you probably didn't need to, but for somebody who, you know, had a mortgage and needed some, some relief, uh, right. and, and, and try to get some payments deferred. Yeah. They're going to defer them, but they're deferring them till for 90 days at which it, at that point, that balance plus it the fourth due. month is going to be due. And, right. and if I couldn't afford yeah. the, the 2000, two months ago, three months ago, <laughs> And I haven't come right. back to work. What makes you think I'm going to afford that now? And exactly. so now that's, that's going to be eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. And so unless yep. you can figure out some way to uh, to get a, a rewrite your mortgage or uh, so whatever process that is, um, you know, you're we're going to be sitting back in the same situation we were in 2008. Maybe not 15 exactly. million. Maybe not five million families will be kicked out of their homes. So maybe it'll right. only be two million this this time. Yep. You know, yep. and it's just a, it's just a consolidation of wealth and, yeah. and these, that's crazy. The story is still yet to be told, but it's not, you know, I think if, if we keep, to, you know, if you keep talking like that and we keep, uh, you know, pushing our Congress people, you know, that's, that's what we got to do. Our congressperson here in, in my county actually has a, a call, conference call every couple of weeks and the constituents are allowed to just ask any question they want. And that's our opportunity to kind of put some pressure on them to, you know, think about the little guy, so to speak, because like that's, you know, that's something we all need to, to worry about because we don't want we don't want all the consequences of having a uh, oligarchy. Right. Like of just, you know, a few rich people at the top. No, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for them. No, no, it's not. Yeah. And, and there's a, and, there, and we all know that there is there's the the one percent and then yeah. there's the half of percent that owns the one percent. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Exactly. And 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 they can they can ebb and flow these markets and they can they can crash them if they want. They have the right. they have the money to where they can take them take a, a chunk out of here, put it over there and yes. and you know have 
have Trump say something silly and the markets <laughs> and, and the markets go up or they That's go right. down and and they they know how to play it. You know what I mean? Yes. So they know how to play both sides of everything. And, and it's just, it's crazy how it works. I mean, and I don't want to sound like, Oh, we're victims, you know, but we kind of are. Yeah. We're rooting for a system that, uh, you know, creates an opportunity for everybody. That's, you know, we're supposed to be the land of opportunity, right? Yeah. So let's, let's make it a place for, for opportunity. I mean, that's what, that's why, People wanted to come from other countries to visit us and, and to live with us and to you know send one family member over to start something over in, in, in America and then send money back until they could pay for those people to come over you mm-hmm. know and that that of course still happens um, and um, you know it's that's a that should be a compliment we should be thinking of that as a compliment to our society but if we're not if it's actually not really true then we're not living up to what we all thought the values were so yeah. you know I, you know. I, it's always good to be self-critical, and I think this is a great time to be self-critical of the U.S. and and see uh, opportunity for change. And and I think our, you know, I think the people who follow Bernie, I think they will vote this time. I don't think they voted as in in, in as many numbers as they as we all would have liked for those who were rooting for Hillary last time. But I think that uh, they'll vote this time, and they're becoming adults with real responsibilities. And um, they're paying, you know, sometimes they're paying rent, sometimes they have kids, you know, and that hopefully they see like they're, they're, they're seeing the future now and they're living it and they want to, you know, they want a better outcome. I think that that will help us get to a place that's uh, more equitable in the future, but it could take 15 years. It's not necessarily going to happen next year. No. We have some pain in the interim. Yeah. We're going to be stuck with, uh, with Trump because nobody's yep. going to, nobody's going to vote for, for Biden. And that was right. by design. It was okay. Yeah. It, 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 it's okay for them either, either Biden mm-hmm. or Trump. They don't care. Right. They're, they're both, right. they're both the same. You know, they work for yep. the same, the same people. So, I mean, the last yep. thing they want is for the worker to have representation uh, or anything, yep. anything that resembles you want to be for the worker. And, right. and Bernie wasn't, he plays ball. He, he he's yes. not he plays yeah. ball with them. He didn't say anything about the bailout. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, who her whole platform was uh-huh. on two thousand eight yeah. and the bailout then, said nothing. Right. AOC, oh I don't you know they do a lot of their grandstanding, but I mean nobody knows yeah. who voted for what because it was a voice vote. Do you think that was by That's accident? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Well said. <laughs> these 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 folks are are well trained. Uh, they're mm-hmm. career politicians, and that's why we need to do away with with and have term limits. So they they I can't would be in get, favor of that. Yeah. yeah, they can't get so entrenched in there and and be and make those those uh, relationships that that make them rich. I mean, ins- right. insider trading is legal for them. That blew my mind. I think I saw sixty minutes on that like 10, 10 years ago, and I just it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that they were all able to profiteer. Uh, off of their positions and they knew things before the market did right so well look at what to, look at what feinstein trade. did and the other the other three senators they dumped right. all they dumped all of their stock in stuff that would be affected by this by the outcome yes. of this and they put all of their money into gig economy yep it's a it is it is not right and hopefully someday that changes except unfortunately the people who vote on that are those who are doing it yeah yeah how are you going to do yeah. that my, yeah. I was talking to my dad about that. I'm like, how are we? How 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 can we stop that? Because they're not going to vote themselves out of out of power. Right. 
yeah. You know, and he's yeah. like, you've got it's it's something about something about the uh, uh, some uh, something about the states. Like the states have to, mm. like we can ratify the con the constitution of the states. And oh, so once, yeah, yeah, once you I get that. yeah, once you get all of the states mm-hmm. involved in that, then you can you can change the the laws. Sure. So, something about yeah. that. I don't know. I think that they should. Yeah. I think one of the good things should have been should be that we should uh, allow when you vote. All right. You're not just you're not you're not just voting on the president. You're going to vote on the president and three key issues that you want to see change in, whether oh, it's like term yeah. limits is right. on the ballot. Uh, yeah. all of these, there, you know, three major issues are, would be on the ballot as well as, uh, you know, who's running for a president, just like they do in our, in our, right. our state elections and our county elections. Absolutely. California is great at that. So, so is New Jersey, by the way, there's yeah. a lot, there's always a couple of props on the, uh, on the ballot in addition to voting for our governor or our Congress people. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that marijuana yeah. gets put on, <laughs> marijuana gets put on that. I guarantee it goes legal. Uh, yes. term limits get thrown on there. I guarantee you everybody's going to be in favor of only a, uh, uh, an eight year run. That's right. Yeah. yeah. With, a that. yeah. Yeah. with a moratorium, with a moratorium on, on when you can go to K street and become a lobbyist. It needs to be five years yeah, at right. least. I agree with that too. That would be good. Yeah. So I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? I'm just some guy that lives in a trailer and talks on a microphone <laughs> and doesn't get paid to do it. <laughs> Does it for fun. And I'm a guy in marketing. I, I could, and I actually never worked in political marketing. I have some good friends who do it, but uh, that is not, and it is different. Like I, I literally have said, Oh, I'd like to try that. And most people who are in political marketing say, first of all, you may probably don't want to try it. And second of all, it is, uh, it is so different. Like, you know, all the, the marketing tactics that I, I tend to recommend to companies I've worked with, I've worked with like Target and PayPal and Sephora and some of the banks and some of the, uh, some not-for-profits as well. Um, you know, the rules do not apply in politicians. It's not, and I'm not talking about it's dirty. It's just, it literally is different practices. They, you know, talking to constituents and talking to, Voters is a is a radically different, uh, you know, approach than uh, what companies. I mean, companies are, you know, politics is of course selling on the scare, right? So you know, um, I think uh, Bush and Cheney did it perfectly in two thousand four when they won the reelection, when they started talking about you know we're you know we've kept us safe since two you know since nine eleven and you know here's all the things we did. I think they even set the uh, the that code that you know the code orange or code red to code red the week of the election in 2004 just to potentially help people be a little frightened and therefore you know stay with the course so to mm. speak or stay with bush and, and cheney and look um you know i think bush actually looks like a like a, a role model these days compared to what we have right but uh but that is a tactic that politics does that i don't think companies like to do as much because they're they don't want to be you know accused of exploitation yeah, so to speak. yeah. The politicians don't tend to care about that. Mm-mm. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we're at an hour. Yeah. And yeah. we got some good conversation out of this. Absolutely. Yes. No. Thanks for having me on. Is there anything else you wanted to to cover while we're we're on? I don't want to make your podcast too long. Um. No. I. I, th- I think we're good. I mean, we, we got some awesome. of the basics, you know, we you talked about your book, uh, you yep. talked about, you know, your career and, and, uh, finance and, and a little bit of marketing. And then we got to touch yeah. on some important issues that affect all of us, you know, they do. And, yep. 
and and will right. be affecting all of us in the future uh, to come. So you know, food for thought, yeah. everybody out there. Uh, Absolutely. Weigh in. Tell me what you think. You know, you can always email me and 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 tell me your uh, opinions and your views. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm never sold on anything. Uh, you know, my my opinion can be changed. Uh, if you present me with the right, <laughs> with the right, you know, information that will, you know, make my thought process seem like, oh, well, maybe I am thinking about that the wrong way. Right, right. You know, I love the name of your podcast. You know where to go, but up. It's very positive. It's a positive message to the world, and especially at a time like this, I think it's a it's a great, you know, concept. And uh, thank you, because we are in a dark place right now, but I, I do see us ultimately getting out of it. Um, and, uh, I think, I think something Winston Churchill, I think said, said something like this during World War II, when you're, when you're going through hell, keep walking or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to keep pressing as, as, uh, as a country, as, as people who see the good in all those who are actually on the front lines. And, and, uh, but, and of course you've had, you know, again, just reading your backstory a lot, a bit, it's just, you know, it's amazing where you're coming from and trying to go to. And, uh, you know, you are, you're, you're, you're helping other people, you know, figure things out a little bit just by your story. So I applaud you and I, I wish you the best and, and, uh, obviously, um, you know, wish the, the, the most success for the podcast and keep, keep the guests coming. You've got some amazing guests. I, I look at your guest list and I say to myself, I like, see, let's see, I'm not an ex-prisoner. I'm not a refugee. I'm not an addict. I'm not a child of addicts. I'm, I'm very lucky, you know, relative to a lot of your, your guests, um, but I do still have a message, which is, you know, try to find that thing that you love. Um, you know, don't give up on it. Um, you may have to make some sacrifices along the way and you will get a lot of no's or pushback, but you can get there. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's not as dramatic as some of the other stories and guests you've had on, but it's, it's still a story that hopefully uh, rings with people to, to stay positive and stay focused. Well, not everybody needs to have a, a dramatic, tragic story. Uh, you know, it's actually right. refreshing sometimes when you, you come across people that don't, yeah. uh, and, and you're right. You know, there is something to be learned from, from them as well. We all have something to offer the world, you know, right. it's yeah. just a matter of everybody being able to, and open to receiving what anybody's putting out there, you know, Absolutely. and not, and not, yes. and not being so married to your ideas and your ideals and your, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how you view things um you know we're we come across stuff all the time i mean even like to how long we've been on this planet keeps yes. changing it does you know does. Yep. according to what gets dug dug up you know next week <laughs> you know it could the timeline can get pushed back another fifteen thousand years who knows <laughs> You know, that's exactly right. You have to be fluid these days, man. The the day of the day of, you know, this is the way it's been done because it's always been done this way is being challenged all the time. Yeah. Let's just dump the word dogma because it doesn't really exist. Let's let's think about it more scientifically and more evolutionary. Yep, exactly. So go ahead and plug all your places that you want to appear in the show notes. And then also when when you're done and you got some time. Uh, put all, put all of that down in an email for me. So I can just Will copy do. and paste it and then shoot me a, uh, a picture so I can put on the promotional okay. thing and, uh, we'll go from there. Will do. Thank you, Sean. I am at, uh, the website careerius.com. That's the word career with I O U S at the end.com. That's for people with the, the serious career. That's kind of the concept there. 
I wrote the book called The Vulnerable Career Switcher, which can be found on Amazon and both the Kindle and the paperback. Um, I am doing some coaching for people typically in the millennial centennial uh, categories. I'm not an executive coach. I'm trying to help the next generation of executives become successful. Um, so, um, Sean, thank you for having me on today. That's that's really all I want to promote. And and uh, again, thanks thanks for letting me be on your show. Awesome, man. Thank you for giving me your time and uh, you know reaching out. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, for the information too. And if I have any questions about you know uh, book you know publishing or whatever, I'll uh, I'll hit you up and and. When I'm ready. Absolutely. Please do. And remember that you do have a platform already and you are sharing your story and that's, that's what matters most. So keep at it. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you as well. Take care, Sean. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved. To connect to the show, book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.